Next Sunday we'll be in Galatians. This week we're in week two of a series called Stewarding Life. Stewarding Life. Last week we spoke about stewarding our talent um, and our abilities. All right, Stewarding the things, the time and talents that God has given us. The, the, um, the, the abilities that we have. How are we using them for the kingdom? And uh, I enjoyed that and I, I hope you did. I actually, uh, after the sermon... Uh, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week, had a couple people reach out and say, hey man, I appreciated that, and here's some things that I have. Like, I believe there's some things that I, that God has blessed me with that I can help out in the church with. And so, that's exactly why we preach sermons like that, okay? So, as we think of stewardship, uh, we, we preach through that. Well, obviously, when you hear the word stewardship, if you were raised in church at all, you understand that stewardship often comes with the connotation of your finances. And I'm here today, number one, to not apologize to you for preaching a sermon on finances. I'm not going to do that. Uh, number two, I am here today to inform you that to my knowledge, and I, I would love to be corrected here, but to my knowledge, this is the first time in five plus years that we have dedicated a sermon to this topic. Now, we have preached through the book of Philippians, and the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians speaks of the church that gave to Paul, and how Paul said, my God will supply all your need. We, we've preached through that text, but we didn't dedicate the entire sermon just to the, to the concept of giving. But we're going to do that today. You say, Josh, why are we doing that? Once again, third thing, being honest with you today. After the service, those of you that are a part of our church are asked and welcome to stay. We're going to go over our church business for, the, for 2023. We're going to go over 2022's history. We're going to present 2023 and our plans for 2023. And so it just made sense that this would be a good day to just talk about all those types of things. Because that obviously is our budget, is the, is the main thing that we speak about. So wanted to just... Hit this, talk about this, roughly 20% um, of Scripture, especially New Testament Scripture, is in one way, shape, or form about stewardship. Um, often, many of that being directly financial. Um, I believe you would understand this. There's no way in the world that we would be able to preach one sermon on a Sunday and be like, okay, we covered the subject of finances in Scripture. I hope you guys paid attention. There's no way in the world. I mean, as I was looking to this, I'm going like, Josh, you're not going to talk about this verse in this sermon? I'm like, no, I'm not because, you know, I'm hungry and I, lunch is coming. Right? I, I'm not trying to hold you guys to dinner time tonight, right? So, so if you will give me grace today in that I am not going to exhaust this topic, okay? Give me grace. I'm not going to exhaust it. You don't want this to turn into a seven-week series, okay? So I'm not going to exhaust it. Now, if you'll also give me grace, at some point in time in our church, we will address the topic of money a little more deeply in probably a four or five week series. I believe it's a help and can be a help to you and to me. Now, y'all know the way I roll. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. I can promise you this. As a pastor, I am not coming to you to like, to like sneak in the back door of teaching something. I'm just going to tell you. So here's my introduction. You ready? Addressing the tithe. Are you ready? This is not even the sermon. This is the introduction addressing the tithe. How many of you were raised in a church, and I want you to raise your hand this morning if you were, you were raised in a church where the tithe was commanded? All right, that is the majority of you. How many of you today, you say, Josh, either I was not raised in church, or I was raised in a church that did not directly like, not command sounds a little harsh, but you know what I'm saying. Preach it, teach it as a command. Raise your hand if you were not raised in church or was not taught that way. All right. Two or three of you, four of you, you came out unscathed. All right, here we go. 
Praise the Lord. The rest of you are still in church. Oh, my goodness. No. I do want to address the tithe because I have to be honest with you. Um, over the last 10 years of my journey out of legalism and my journey out of um, craziness, I began to do things like, hey, I actually want to find what Scripture says about some of these things, and I want to test it. Okay, I want to test it, and this was one of them. So I want to address the tithe today, and I want to give you as an introduction, and literally I have points with a verse, points with a verse, points with a verse. So like this is going to be an introduction. The tithe was introduced before the law. Okay, The tithe was introduced before the law. And Abraham in Genesis 14 gave a tithe, and Jacob in Genesis 28 gave a tithe. Both of those were before the law. In fact, I believe, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not a hill that I feel like dying on this morning, but I believe it was actually introduced in Cain and Abel, in the giving, the very first family ever in recorded history. There was a, an acceptable gift and there was an unacceptable gift. Um, so, but I'm not going to, once again, I'm not going to die on that hill. But I, I, do, I do believe this 100%, the concept of giving definitely originated with the first family that ever existed on this earth. With at very least the children of Adam and Eve. The concept of giving. But the, the tithe was given in Genesis 14. You can look it up. Genesis 28, Abraham in 14, Jacob in 28. So it was introduced before the law. And why do I say that? Because a lot of people say, well, uh, the tithe was the law and we are no longer bound by the law. And I say amen to that. So secondly, first of all, it was introduced before the law. Secondly, it was reinforced by the law. Okay, it was reinforced by the law. So it was introduced before the law, but in Leviticus chapter 27, once again, I'm not going to take you here to all of these verses. I am going to take you to the next verse on the next point, but in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 and 31, the law reinforces the encouragement, and then it was Jewish law, of the giving of the first fruits of the tithe. And by the way, the word tithe actually means tenth. That's what the word actually, like baptism, you remember we preached on baptism? It actually means to immerse. So the word tithe literally means tenth. So when we speak of that, we are literally talking about the tenth. And so it was reinforced by the law, introduced before the law, reinforced by the law. Thirdly, this is where I want to spend just a tad of time, it was encouraged by Jesus. And I use the word encouraged, and I probably should have said it was strongly encouraged by Jesus. Now, I don't talk Bible versions at this church. I, I really don't. I typically preach and teach from the New King James, typically. Sometimes we will preach from the ESV. In fact, the book of James, we did the entire book ESV. I'm not, that's, if you want to fight over that, man, I got, I got a bunch of churches you can go to. That we ain't bringing that mess in here, okay? For the sake of clarity, though, I am going to quote from Matthew 23, 23 from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Because I don't know if you've read your Bible in the NLT, but sometimes you're like, man, what in the world did that mean? And you open your NLT, you're like, oh, all right, cool, I got it. All right, so, Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you, the, evidently they were like into like CBD back in the day. Like it was, I'm just, oh, I'll get Hey, listen, I didn't write it. I'm just quoting it. Um, but, you, <laughs> but you're 
But, but you, I got other jokes and I just can't say them. Here we go. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Okay, now let me pause before I get to the very last statement. I mean, obviously I agree with Jesus. The more important things are things like justice, mercy, and faith. I'm not trying to put the tithe up there. But look what he says to close the verse out. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Okay? You should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. So, Jesus says this. You were, you were making sure you were tithing because that's easy to track. 10%, 10%, 10%, 10, 10, 10, 10, I'm doing that. But you have no faith. You're not showing mercy to people. You could care less about the impoverished. You could care less. You're just giving your money and you're walking away. You're a Pharisee. And by the way, there are people all across this country, all across this world, who are not involved in local churches and who do not care anything about those things, but they have a conscience that was probably raised in church and they give to churches and they do. that's it. That's all they do. And Jesus says, you should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So, the tithe was introduced before the law. Genesis 14, 28. It was reinforced by the law, Leviticus 27. And it was encouraged by Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. To go along with this third point, the fourth point is this. It's a tangible standard for today. It's a tangible standard for today. Back in Matthew 23, 23, he says you should tithe. That word should there is a strong word. In fact, it is explained originally as you must do these things and you must not neglect these things. Okay, so I am not going to come up to you today in this pulpit where I have where I have sworn to, to God that I am not going to add to and take away from his word. I'm not going to come up here today and say, let me open up to all of Paul's epistles and show you where he says a 10% of your gross income must go to the church. I'm not going to do that today. We're going to go to one of Paul's epistles in a second. But I'm not going to tell you that. Here's what I am going to tell you. I believe, Josh believes, that the tithe is a good standard it's a tangible, visible standard that, that began from literally the beginning of human history of how am I giving back to God for what he has given me. Is that fair this morning? Is that a fair point to make? I believe that not only did Jesus not abolish the tithe in the New Testament, but he strongly encouraged the tithe in the New Testament. Now, we need to differentiate between this because everything now that we're going to speak about from this point forward in our sermon is going to be about giving. So I address the tithe. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit deal with you however he would want to deal with you. I'll, we'll come around at the end of the sermon and close out. I will tell you by my testimony, and I say this only because you can check my testimony if you'd like. I will, If you really want to, I will log into my mobile banking account for you if you really if you want to. But from the day that we decided, the day we got married, we decided to be married. Um, 
We have prioritized giving. Now, I was raised in a church that preached the tithe, and I followed that. I don't think there's anything wrong with following that. In fact, I think there's a lot of things right about following that. And so here's the way my wife and I do it. We have our budget. We know exactly what we make. We know what we make before taxes. We know what we make after taxes. Lord, have mercy. Um, We know what we make before Duke takes out all those things and and after Duke takes out all those things out of Sarah's paycheck, right? Parking? Anyway, um, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But we know what we make, we know what the government and everybody else takes, and we know what we bring home. So here's what, here was our decision as a couple. What we make gross, we will take 10% of that, and before we begin our budget, before we pay our mortgage, before we pay our rent, before we pay our car payment, before we pay our insurance, that amount of money is gone. It is as if we don't have it. I'm not going to get to point one yet, but point one is from last week, everything belongs to him. It's as if we don't have it. So we begin our budget after our giving to the Lord. Does that make sense? You say, Josh, okay, I don't do that. That's fine. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm giving you an example of what we do. And we did this before I was a lead pastor. We did this when my paycheck from a church was not ever in question. We did this when like, I was in churches that had hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in the bank. So this was not about anything. This was not self-serving in any way. So that's what we did. Over time, there have been years when we've been able to give above that 10% quite a bit. There have been other years where that was really what we, were, what we did. We did that 10%. And we go through seasons of life where we feel like we have a little bit more that we can give above. And I believe that's biblical. As we're blessed. That's us. So from here on out, the tithe was introduced before the law. It was reinforced by the law. It was encouraged by Jesus. And I believe it's a tangible standard, not a commandment. I believe it's a tangible standard for us today. Where we can judge and gauge of like, this is what you're giving me, God, financially. This is what I want to give back to you. Can we pray? Man, I felt like the sermon's over. It's not. Can we pray? We're going to get into, in fact, if you want to, uh, prepare yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 18. I'm step chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we'll be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. God, I want to be faithful to you today. I want to be faithful to your word. Holy Spirit, um, open our eyes where they need opening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is ironic that there is no debate that the church at Corinth was the church that had the most problems. The church at Corinth is the church where Paul had to address incest among church leaders. Uh, and I won't even go into the details of that. If you'd like to look it up, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or something like that. <clears throat> it is the obvious, they're the longest letters that Paul wrote. He dealt with a bunch of bad things in the church of Corinth. It is ironic that overwhelmingly the two letters to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, have the most instruction or reprimand about giving. It's interesting. It's interesting that the church with the problems had issues with giving. Now, listen, I, under, I understand the church climate and church culture, how it is today. I'm going to shoot straight with you. There are churches across this city right now, right now, who are dead as a doornail. You know why they haven't closed the doors yet? Because back in the day, some people were really faithful in giving, and they have a whole lot of money sitting in a bank account. It's the only reason why the church ain't closed. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, I know the climate of the church. 
So I understand that. I'm not saying that everything is directly correlated. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, as we talk about stewarding our finances. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Man, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Do you guys ever struggle to read and comprehend on your Bible? I do. I'm going to read that for you again. Verse 2. This is the church that's in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. They are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy. And that has overflowed in rich generosity. Verse 3, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Remember, it wasn't a law. It wasn't a command. It wasn't a requirement. They begged us. Again, this is Paul testifying about the churches of Macedonia. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you. Now now he's talking about Corinth. We've urged Titus to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. So Titus, at this time, if you would, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Since you excel in so many ways, your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness in generosity of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give And you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. But I don't have as much as so-and-so. Oh, great, great, Paul says. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have. Not what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. He's like, I'm not being unrealistic here. I'm not saying you starve 
so that somebody else can live lavishly. I only mean that there should be some equality. Giving should be equal. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. Man, how many of you are unfamiliar with that text? That was the first time you've walked through that text. I'll be honest with you, as I'm I'm preparing this uh, sermon, it it was not the first text that was like, oh, let me go straight to... Let me go straight to 2 Corinthians. I know where I'm going. Um, It wasn't. Um, But as I began studying and studying, I said, man, those 14 verses right there were powerful. There are truths in those 14 verses as I read them that I hope you digested that we're probably not even going to be able to speak on today for sake of time. My sermon today, it is 1045. My sermon today, much like my introduction, has points and verses. Okay? I want to be spirit-led Um, and word driven this morning number one copy and paste from last Sunday and stewarding our abilities and our time it all belongs to God thinking of stewarding our finances and stewarding the money that God gives you make no mistake it all belongs to God in this text in the first two verses Paul says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done to the churches of Macedonia. See, these people weren't giving of of their own money. They were giving of what God had done for them. They're being tested by many troubles. They're very poor. They're filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Psalm 24, 1, the same verse we used last Sunday. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness It belongs to the Lord. All the fullness of this earth does. The world and those who dwell therein, every person, every penny, belongs to God. So if you get paid once a month, and let's say you get paid on the first of the month, there's my music reference, I'm not going to sing from the 90s. Um, If you cash your checks and come on on the first of the month, um, anyway, um, some of y'all, I didn't know some of y'all knew that. Anyway, um, if the first of the month is, so the first of the month is coming, and that direct deposit hits, we must understand that whatever that direct deposit that hits on the 1st of February, that money is God's. And we are to appropriately steward, manage what God has entrusted us with. Now, just like last week in the parable of the talents, one was given five, one was given two, one was given one. How many of you understand here? Man, I hope we all do. Some of us get one talent financially. Some of us get two, some of us get five. How many of you are like, God, I've got one, man, I need that five. Man, where are we going? How are we going to do this? Multiply it by five. Can we, can we do like the loaves and the fishes? You know, like, let's multiply But at the end of the day, no matter what it is, no matter how little or how big the direct deposit that hits your bank account on February the 1st is, every penny of that money is God's money. Now, he, in his mercy and his grace, does not require you to take all of his money and go to the church and say, here's all of God's money back. He doesn't do that. 
He wants you to steward that money. He wants your family to have uh, good food to eat. He wants you to have uh, a, a roof over your head. He wants you to have uh, vehicles to drive. He wants you to have uh, money to, to enjoy the things that he has given us in this world. He wants us to be able to get around and move around and take some time of, of rest. These are all biblical things and biblical principles. He wants us to take care of our families. As a dad, he wants me to have enough money to take my, my daughter out for a date night. He wants me to be able to take my wife out and spend some time with her. He wants all of those things. And so he's not asking you to give 100% of everything you have back to his church or back to his kingdom. But we must understand that it's all his. So before I take God's money and just blow it on whatever I want to blow it on, I at least need to acknowledge that this is God's money. Can we get there this morning? It's God's. It's God's. Second point. So it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Secondly, giving is a privilege. Man. Giving is a privilege. Look back in our text this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. I didn't make them. They did it, man. They were like, and they, oh man, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. We want to give more. Can we have another opportunity? Hey, can we have another, Pastor Aaron, can we do another VBS offering? The answer is yes. <laughs> Can we take care of more church planners? Can we give more? Can we do more for Pastor Ken in the Bronx? Can we do more for core missions training national pastors to reach their own people with the gospel? Can we do more? The same book, I told you, 1 and 2 Corinthians, giving was a privilege. The next chapter in the same letter Chapter 9, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, not mad about it, or out of necessity. Oh, that's what i got to do, geez. No, God loves a, a cheerful giver. Now, that doesn't mean that when you walk out today, if you write a check and you drop it back there in that box, that you're like, <laughs> like that's, that's not what it means. If you do that, that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm good, yeah. Do it again. It'll be a gif, I'm sure Justin will. Justin will capture that, as he always does. Just faithful back there. Steady, faithful. Anytime I do something stupid, you will see it again. All right? Um, it doesn't mean we were ridiculous. You know what it does mean? It means that every time that, that I give online or every time that I give to God's work, I don't do it going, what could I have done with this money? Man, we could, you know what kind of house we could live in, Sarah? If we didn't give that money every month to church, do you realize if we took all this money and put it in savings, what, how many more times you could figure out a reason to go to Disney World? I don't do that. We don't do that. That conversation does not come out of our mouths. Why? Because I just want to be cheerful in it. God, you've been so good to me. And I just cheerfully want to return it. 
Thirdly, so it all belongs to God. Giving is a privilege. I told you these were going to be quick. Thirdly, giving is a love reaction. It's a love reaction. I'm not going to do the John 3.16 on you. That's a little bit of manipulation. I'm not going to be like, for God so loved the world that he did what, church? You know, I'm not doing that to you. That'll make anybody feel bad. I'm like, okay, you sent Jesus. Okay, whatever. What, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to do that. But look at our text. Look at our text. We're back in 2 Corinthians 8. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. By comparing it with the eagerness of the... I mean, y'all, we don't like that mess. You mean you're going to see how much we love you based upon how much we give compared to what someone else gives? Not really the amount, but the willingness, the buy-in. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our standard. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty, dying on the cross for us, we could become rich. Giving is a love reaction. My 14-year-old daughter is a psycho. I created it. She's into shoes, man. She's into shoes. And I hate that in a way. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like it. But uh, she's into shoes. She does not need another pair of shoes for three years. I promise you. I promise you. But you know what she's going to get? Because daddy loves her. You know what she's going to get? I'm, I mean, I ain't making no problem. You just chill for a second. She's going to get some more shoes from me. It's going to happen. You know why? Because I love her. And one of the ways that I can demonstrate that I love her is by giving of myself and my time and giving of my money. If you... I do this, I try to do this as often as I can. If I see another pastor out at a restaurant and we're eating, I will do my best to grab that pastor's ticket and pay for his meal. That's my thing. Sarah knows that. We try to do that every time we can. And I'll be honest with you. Over the years, we've shown up in a restaurant some people that I don't really care for. Just being straight with you. And we've paid for their meal. And probably, the Lord probably didn't bless me because my heart was probably not right. But I'm like, <laughs> we did it. Why? Because I want people that proclaim the gospel to know that I love them. So one of the ways that I show that I love someone is by investing my money into their life. It's a love reaction. Fourthly, and then, then it's our conclusion. The conclusion is practical takeaways. Fourthly, giving should be equal sacrifice. And I want you to listen to me and listen to me very good with this last one. Look at our text. Listen to Paul first. Verse 11 in our text, give in proportion to what you have. I'm going to pause right there. There is no, no one, not one inkling in this sermon today of you need to raise your standard to someone else's standard if you don't have the money. It's not logical. That's anti-grace. That's anti-gospel. So give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Set the standard. 
that you're going to give at and do it with a smile on your face. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Don't try to... Don't try to level up like a Pharisee and be like, oh, I'm giving X amount because, you know, I saw this rich person over here giving, and I, I'm the same. I'm, I'm. No, just back, back off, back down. Give according to what you have. Of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you not to take care of your needs. I'm not telling you not to take care of your family. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to just give in proportion to what God has given you. A supporting verse on this is once again in 1 Corinthians. I told you, man, Corinth was, they got a lot of teaching on it. Y'all better be glad you won't go to that church. In chapter 16 of the first letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. Y'all like that? The collection for the saints. We're going to start calling it that. This is how we can do the collection for the saints. I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do also. On the first day of the week, Sunday, we don't, whatever, you give whatever you want to, but let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul's telling them, hey man, go ahead and Take up the offering before I get there. But storing up as he may prosper. Giving should be equal sacrifice. I want you to listen very closely today. There are some of you who God has given you jobs that pay you a certain amount of money. God is not asking you to give the same amount that, he asked, that he's asking someone to give that makes three times as much money as you do. That's just not, that's not logical. The giving in the church should not be a competition of I'm trying to reach a certain status. Giving should not be, oh, the, the front three rows are reserved for the, uh, the highest givers in the church. Or let's be honest, the back three rows, right? No. It's not like the, the, the club. Listen, I know pastors that meet with the top 10% givers of their church on a quarterly basis. I literally know them. And they talk through like, hey, how are we going to get to the next level and how are we going to do this or that? And so like, there's this little, like, there's a dinner provided by the church. And they take the top percent of their givers and they talk. And, and I'll be honest with you, if you're running a business, hey, man, I'm cool with that. I think that's actually really smart. Let me get the top 10% of my donors and let's talk about it. But I'm not running a business. I'll be honest with you, as we started our church, this is just the way it was. I pretty much knew everything. I had to. It was a baby. It was an infant. As we've grown, we have a bookkeeper. I try to keep as much of these things an arm, as an arm length away from me. I will say this. There's one thing I'm done with that I will not do anymore, that I will begin doing. Before we promote anyone in leadership, we will check. We will check giving. Because we ain't getting out. I've done, got ahead of myself. Because where our treasure is, there will our hearts be. Preview. Here we go. Conclusion. What do we have, Justin? Five of them? We have five of them, I believe. 
right. Number one, in conclusion, these are practical takeaways that we need to take away from this teaching. God's church is supported financially by God's people. Now, I didn't, I didn't talk today um, about local church giving compared to other giving. If I can just get you to be generous, God's going to take care of it. I personally am a local church giver. Now, we give outside of the local church as well. But I give our, our, our standard tithe to our church. And whatever we give to other organizations, we give above that. If you want to do something different, I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit to you. But I'm telling you this. Keystone Church does not have outside donors that takes care of Keystone Church. I'm not opposed to it. If, I mean, if God wants to send some successful businessmen that believe in the passion of this church and the mission of this church and they want to take this church on and they want to help, hey man, shoot them my number. I'm cool. But we don't have that. The couple friends that I do have, shooting straight with you, what, two years ago, one of them, he did, he hooked it up and he gave um, and he didn't this past year. I'm like, hey, cool, man. I'm still friends with the guy. He's awesome. We are supported by God's people. This church is supported by this church. Okay, we don't get a trickle down. We're a non-denominational church. We don't get any kind of a trickle down, any kind of denominational help. We get nothing, none of that. And I'm cool with that. Because you know what, that trickle down involves some, involves some, uh, some stuff. Some, some strings are definitely attached. So God's church is supported financially by God's people. And that responsibility lies on, on me and you as God's church. Secondly, while tithing may not be commanded in the New Testament, commanded, I will, I will go as far as this. Giving absolutely is. Okay? While tithing the tenth to a, to a penny may not be commanded, giving is giving is thirdly in a world full of takers be a giver in a world full of takers be a giver we live in a society and a culture that is take as much as you possibly can If you see a weakness in someone and you can take advantage of their weakness, take advantage of it as much as you can. In a world, my dad used to always tell me, son, in this world, there are givers and there are takers. And he used to say this, and I agree with him, son, in the church, if they're not giving, they are actively taking. I was like, dad, that's a little rough. But I'm going to be be as kind as I can in this. If you're not giving, you're sitting in a heated auditorium that someone else is paying for. If you're not giving, your kids are in a kids' ministry with items and a, a space and a renovation that someone else is paying for. In a world full of takers, be a giver because, fourthly, God will bless generosity. God will bless it. I, I didn't purposely this morning, I did not pull up on the screen, press down, shaking together, running over. If you give, he will give back. 
Because I don't want any of you to think I'm in, in any way trying to promote like a prosperity. Like, well, God, you said if I give to the church, then I'm going to be rich. Man, no, 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 no. But I will say this. Over and over in Scripture, God blesses generosity. I mentioned the book of Philippians. We preached through it early on in our church. And Paul said, I remember that you took care of me in giving and receiving. I remember you gave. Your church was generous. And so he replies with, and now my God is going to supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will give back. And it may not be financially. How many of you know old Christian, old, like old, you know, saint of the Lord who's like, who, and I believe this, I, I believe I believe this as well. Like I just feel like my car just runs a little bit longer because I give. I feel like situations that happen to people just haven't happened to me and I believe, I believe it's because I've been faithful in my giving. I don't know that that's true. I haven't compared you know, tread on my tires to someone else's tires, you know. I have no idea. That'd be really cool, though, if there was a study on that. <laughs> Lastly, I mean, it would be. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will follow. Uh, can you do this for me this morning? I asked Justin not to put this on the screen. Would you turn it, if you have a physical Bible... Turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't, would you open up your app, if you have an app, to Matthew chapter 6. Now, I'm going to read it from the New King James. You can, so I'm not going to ask us to read it together. Sound like the Tower of Babel or something. I'm going to read it for you, but I want you to lay eyes on it on your own, not on the screen. On your own Bible, Matthew chapter 6, whether through your physical Bible or whether through an app. Matthew chapter 6. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus highlighted the kingdom. And he says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. He says this. If you're simply going to invest in the things of this world, they will eventually rot. My wife and I got to go to out for a meal this Friday night at the Colonial Inn in Hillsborough. Everybody familiar with Colonial Inn, old school people? You know what happened to the Colonial Inn over time? Over time, that beautiful, incredible place began to wear down and wear down and wear down to where like I'm going in there to eat and I'm like I think I just slipped through the crack of the of the uh, of the wood floor and it's taken some money and some investment to bring that back to life but it's just a point of like no matter how nice something is over time it's going to waste away and we're seeing all these uh, renovation projects in downtown Durham and some of those huge houses over the years have just gotten man it's sad I, I would have loved to have seen them in their original state so that's what it says in verse 19 but it says in verse 20 but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal 
He says, I would rather you invest your time, energy, talent, money, in things that have an eternal impact. Because those things can't be taken away. Moth rust doesn't destroy those things, and thieves don't break in there and steal. And then he makes this statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We reverse that, and it's unbiblical. We say, once my heart's in it, we'll get financially invested in it. Once my heart's in it, and my heart's not quite in it yet. Once I'm able to give my heart to it, no, no, no. That's not what the biblical principle is. The biblical principle is open up your bank account and you look at it and it will tell you where your heart is. That's, that's what it says. Where your treasure is, where your money is, there's where your heart is. Listen, I could care less this morning about a vegan food truck. We met a guy that's opened up a vegan food truck. It's fresh in my mind. I could care less about vegan food trucks, but I can promise you this. If I invested $100,000 in a new vegan food truck, guess what? Guess what? Guess what I'm going to start caring about? Guess what I'm going to start Googling? Vegan trends in the southeast. How many vegan food trucks are in Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill and Hillsboro? How many food banks? You know, how many, how many, I'm going to all of us, you know why? Because my treasure is there. And so my heart is going to follow my treasure. Mark Cuban, hate to use him in a sermon illustration, but Mark Cuban was a software guy. He was an IT guy. He was in tech. And he bought an NBA team, the Dallas Mavericks, and guess what? Guess who the most rabid Dallas Mavericks fan is on a place of the face of this earth? Mark Cuban. You know why? He's invested. So my question to you today, if Jesus was not lying when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, where's your heart? It's really not a, it's really a question that's factual. I will open up my bank account, and I hope that you see that in my bank account that the church here at Keystone Church has my heart. I hope that you will see that my home, my house, and my family have my heart based upon what we spend every month on our house payment and our insurance and our food and our cars. I hope that you will see that some of the things that we enjoy doing, Sarah enjoys buying things for our house, and she enjoys doing certain things with her friends. I hope you will see that in our finances. You will see that I have a heart for Duke football, as crazy as that is. You will see that in my finances. You'll just see it. Like, you just open it up, and it shows you. Now, unfortunately, sometimes in my life, you see my heart overspending there or overspending there or getting out of line there. But I pray that if I prioritize my heart being with God's church, that that will never be impacted. I hope that my heart lies first with him. I am not teaching you today 
and I'm not commanding you today about our introduction on the tithe. I felt like I gave a fair assessment of what the Bible says about it. I am today challenging you to be a giver and not be a taker. Or be a giver so that when you need to be a taker, it makes sense. I was talking, in closing, I was talking to Chris and Aaron and over their house, I think last Sunday. And I made this statement. They've been in our church now for about four years. I said, guys, for four years, you have given. And you have given to people. And you have given your life to people. And you have opened up your house to people. And you have loved people. You know what I told them? You now need to let other people do that to you. And you don't need to feel bad about it. You need to let other people bring you a meal. You need to let other people stop by your house. You need to let other people be a blessing. You need to let other people help you with child care. You need to let other Right? Because it makes sense. And it's the same way with our financial giving. It makes sense. I pray this morning that the truth from God's word resonated with you and that it came across with the right spirit. Because I, I put on Facebook this morning that I was not feeling good. I have no idea if me not feeling good had anything to do with preaching on money. Good chance that, that may have been. Struggled a little bit the last two days. But I know it was what God wanted. And I pray this morning that it came across to you and that God would work in your heart. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.